Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Confluence and Connections podcast brought to you by Elevation Outdoors. My name's Ryan Michelle Scavo, but you might know me as Ryan Outside. Join me on this podcast as I talk to outdoor industry professionals, small business owners, athletes, up-and-comers, passionate adventurers, and a little bit of everything in between. On this episode, we get to hang out with Hillary Hutchison. She's a fly fisher, a fly shop owner, a fly fishing guide, and she helped make Drop happen. But what is Drop? It's a short film brought to us from Protect Our Winners, Yeti, and Patagonia, and it follows a single drop of water from the top of the Continental Divide down to the Pacific Ocean. And along the way, Hillary gets some really incredible people talking climate change and climate change solutions. All right, y'all, let's get into it. All right, good morning, Hillary. Hi. Ryan here for Elevation Outdoors and our Confluence and Connections podcast. I appreciate you joining me this morning. If you can just introduce yourself to listeners, I'd appreciate it. Yes, thank you for having me around, Ryan. I'm Hillary. I'm a fly fishing guide up in Northwest Montana, just in Columbia Falls, which is just outside the west entrance to Glacier National Park, about an hour or so below the Canadian border. And I guide on the Middle Fork and North Fork and Main Stem of the Flathead River, which is the southern boundary and the western boundary of the park. Awesome. Awesome. Normally, I'm uh, talking with folks mid-afternoon. So this morning, I am like third <laughs> cup of coffee in. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you're caffeinated if you're, yeah. if you're a caffeine fan. I, um, I am. It's the first order of business. Absolutely. Every time. Every time. Um, Cool. Well, let's talk drop. Earth Day was Mm. huge Mm -hmm. and the film is fantastic. Mm -hmm. It's it's incredible how you can pack such great information and inspiration into, you know, 20 minutes or so. And so can you tell us a little bit about drop? Like, what is it? What inspired it? That kind of background Mm -hmm. on it, if you would. Yeah, sure. Well, I think that the packing all of this into a short film is the was the hardest part because it could have been super long. I mean, I think it was, you know, at several different points and had to go do some weeding out um, just so that people could watch it. But it started just because, well, I, I think there's this feeling of people who are doing a lot of different things out in the outdoors who who want to collaborate and want to get together and do something a little bit more meaningful. And I think that the reason for wanting to do something more meaningful is because at a certain point, you realize that you've climbed some good mountains, you've skied some good runs, that you've, you've caught some great fish, and, and you get this feeling that not only is there a sense of kind of time running out, but that you haven't necessarily done your part to help. And I know that that's like a slippery slope. It's really something that we shouldn't always worry about because that can consume you if you're like, oh, I haven't done enough. I need to, you know, that can be overwhelming. But there is this sense of just wanting to use your powers for good when, when um, one, you've been able to use the resource and um, feel like along the way, hopefully we've been giving back to the resource, but at a bigger level, how can you collaborate with other people to do a little bit something more? So I think the ultimate reason behind it and how it came about was my buddy Liam, who guided at Glacier Raft Company, where I first started and where I actually still work as a fly fishing guide, he called me up and had said, I don't have a ton of time and I don't have any money, but you know, I want to do something that's um, related to our water and climate and and what are your ideas? And my partner, Eben, had always had this idea of following a drop of water from the top of the Continental Divide to the Pacific Ocean. And he was like, that that 
it seems like we could make that into a real thing, like a, a film. And um, the idea behind the film is if you are the drop, if you're like the fly on the wall and, and you're going from the top of the system all the way to the end of the system, who do you meet along the way and um, and how can you learn something from them? And so that's what we did. We we hiked on uh, snow to the top and snowboarded and skied down to the um, to where that snow becomes the middle fork of the flathead, and then cruised out along through the flathead system and made our way into the Columbia system and made our way all the way down that to the Pacific Ocean, um, meeting a lot of cool people along the way. And the idea with the meeting the, the cool people along the way wasn't just so that they could give tips on how to protect the planet. It was to witness what they've incorporated into their lives as these small processes that can scale up into a bigger systemic change. And so that's what we wanted people to take away from it. I think in reading some of the comments when we did like the, the live virtual showing, some people were like, I wanted more information on how to, on specific things that I could do in my life. And to me, I think that is something that could have been done, but it was intentionally not because I feel like we're past that. So the right. movie to me wouldn't have been as meaningful if we had said, kick plastic, you know, no plastic bags or plastic straws or things like that, or, you know, take shorter showers or, or like consider an electric car or things, you know, that I, it seems like people not only know, but are doing, but we wanted to do was show the levels at which people have incorporated a significant change into their livelihoods, their families, their businesses that scale up into a larger systemic change that essentially these people like you and I, Ryan, are helping influence our elected leadership for something bigger. Yep. Yeah. Is there, was there something along the way? And like I said, I, I sat in on the second showing. I know it got, it got big, right? Yeah. So you ended up having, having the dual showings that night, but was there a piece of it all of that journey? And I, I don't know how long that journey took or how many months mm -hmm. or years y'all did that, but was there a piece of it that was like, wow, like th this person is doing something mm -hmm. and you see that you can mm -hmm. actually, it's tangible, see yeah. it scaling up. Right. Yeah, for sure. So one of the biggest scale ups that I've seen since we started the movie and the movie took two years to make because of the blip. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so um, I like that word for it. The blip. Yeah, That's good. <laughs> it, it really was. I mean, that thing really screwed us up, you know, like yeah. the whole, a, a year of just that really. And I can give you some examples of how the, the pandemic um, messed up the film in a lot of ways, but ultimately it came out. Okay. But so the thing that I, I think it am most proud of, of, of uh, in witnessing what some of the people did within this film is um, being able to see fly shops go carbon neutral and zero waste was huge. And that wasn't something that I saw before we started to make this film. This film didn't have anything to do with it. Hopefully it will in the future because we talked about it. But during the process of making the film, one of the things that I saw was that influencing each other as fly shop owners and managers and guides and outfitters. Uh, and Dave McCoy, who hosted our Q&A after the film, was is the first fly shop to go carbon neutral in the country. And um, he set this great example of just not only that it, it was something important to do, but how to do it. I mean, there is definitely a process. And then, you know, we have this example of how a business leader can tap into other resources like Emerger Strategies. And Emerger Strategies is this 
business consultant company that helps you, that helps fly shops learn how to go carbon neutral. I mean, that's not something when you open a fly shop that you're even barely considering. Right, like you don't right. even have any idea what that is. It doesn't, it's not in your business plan. And the idea is how can you make that part of your business plan and, and how, how hard is it? How easy is it? What does it take? Like, does it pencil? And does it pencil for the planet? Does it make a difference? Who even freaking cares? Like, right. you know, am I, are my employees going to play along? Are my guides going to even care? Like, what is this? And there's a lot of emotional struggle that goes through a big um, change like that. And and I went through it um, with their guidance and leadership. And I've got a fly. I, I mentioned in the beginning, but I have the fly shop here in my town. So my fly shop, Larry's Fly, which is short for Hillary. It's so silly, but um, <laughs> I like it. That's yeah. great. So, so I've been going through that and it's just like, it has helped me look at my business in a whole new way. And you start to see your actual impact, actual footprint, and then start to realize that, yeah, there's definitely things that you can do to lessen that and, and cause actually positive change. And then the bigger you talk about scaling up. So you've got these fly shops that are going carbon neutral now all across the country and guides who are committing to go carbon neutral and outfitters and everything. And the scale up part is that now we're putting pressure on our vendors in the fly shop, or we're choosing the vendors who are paying attention to their supply chain, to their packaging, um, to their materials and, um, and putting pressure on them. And that's a scale up type of deal. And then they're putting pressure on their associations. They're putting pressure on their factories there. You know, I mean, we all know we have an impact, but now it's like being able to be one of the little guys and you work your way up to showing like the bigger system of commerce that this matters and that we actually are out here buying shit, but it's not going to be the wrong shit. Like, right. Right. You know, cause you care. We'll make a difference. Yeah. Well, cause I'd imagine it's, it's not just an operational change it's it's a cultural change it's a it's the systems wide mm, right. change right you got to shift yeah. yeah wow amazing that's awesome i didn't know you had a flash out that's cool too yeah. good good on on you for being being the change right like um, that's it it's like it's a it's a gluttonous place it's just like my hangout it's a good <laughs> it's a good place to come and chill and hang out and talk about um fishing and one of the things that i've noticed is now we're talking about stuff like this yeah. So that's, I mean, people come and sit down and, and they'll talk about small things um, that we see in our community. We talk about like stream access and we talk about habitat and we talk about stream flow and just things that are literally affecting um, their fishing that day. And that's yeah. another scale up thing because you start to talk about how well, like that's messed up and this can have this, we can change this and, and there are people put in place to help us with that. And like, you, it just kind of starts to get to be something that can be important. Yeah, definitely opening a door. That's awesome. Um, so you you mentioned challenges with the film. So mm-hmm. I'm going to backtrack and talk. Uh, how bad did COVID suck? <laughs> well, really bad. You know, I mean, we are, you know, we're, we're healthy and, and made it through and thinking about uh, people who lost loved ones and who were not able to continue with their work. And so I'm, you know, I am acknowledging that that it was harder for other people so oh because my film didn't things didn't work out exactly how I wanted no I get that yeah complain about that because we got it out the door but a couple of the literal hiccups were that when we thought about what this movie looks like and um, I definitely wanted to 
work with Dr. Dan Fagri, the climate scientist who's featured in the film. And the reason was this is such a cool, like, I hate to even tell you about this because it shows what's missing out of the film, but um, such a cool thing when I was in college, like right early, early on in college and um, the Terra space satellite was launching and they were working on it through the University of Montana. That satellite was going to go take pictures of diminishing glaciers and stuff in space. And um, Dr. Dan Fagri was there at the university consulting or kind of a part of the process of launching the satellite. And he lives out here in West Glacier by me. And I remember doing my laundry at the laundromat as I think a sophomore in college. And uh, he was featured in the newspaper as as being there and kind of I think maybe he'd done a talk or something. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. I need to talk to him because I had an assignment in my um, broadcast television class that we needed to go out into the community and find somebody to use as a guinea pig to practice setting up television interviews. So right. we needed to practice on them. They were like, you know, and, and the kids in my class were like, you know, getting the mascot and the cheerleaders at the college and like their, their stoner buddy was sleeping on the couch, <laughs> like to come in and like, all it was meant to be was practice to practice setting up lights and the cameras and the chairs to do an interview and then also practice interviewing. So it was just mm -hmm. a school assignment to practice how to do an interview. But right. I like took it way seriously. <laughs> and I went and I got like this globally renowned climate scientist yeah. when people weren't really talking about climate at this level. Um, it was like 25 years ago. I sat him down and he started and I started asking him these questions. And with the other kids were asking like, how many bowls of frosted flakes did you have this morning, bra? You know, to their buddies. You know, here comes Dan Fagri answering all of these crazy things that he 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 was predicting. So he he had been predicting um, because he's a scientist, and this is obviously not based on conjuncture. This is scientific studies over the, the decades years imagine, before yeah. that had led him to to these hypotheses that we would see a lot of these big changes. And he started laying those changes out for me. And they were everything from an earlier and more dramatic runoff that ends sooner and we run out of water in the flathead sooner, um, to catastrophic wildfires that burned hotter and longer, to the west side of the park being uh, having more moisture, the east side having like a different drying periods, um, the ha having threats to certain canary in the coal mine wildlife like the pika, um, what might happen to mountain goats if the snow line changes and the grizzly bears can go up higher and have different types of feet. I mean, different things that he was saying that over the next 25 years through my life, I just started like mentally checking off. I'm like, holy shit, that's what Dr. Fagri said. Like he said that exact same thing. And sometimes I would read these things that were happening across the country in, in the newspaper. I mean, and we talk about like, climate refugees and national security and threat to humans in a different way that doesn't have anything to do with polar bears. And, you know, and it was like these types of things I was starting to see check off the list right. too. And I was like, whoa, like all, all of these, you know, different things that I'm seeing, um, I could relate back to that one 
embarrassing interview that I did with him when I did not know how to interview or whatever. And I brought him into this ridiculous class. So back to why that mattered with the pandemic. Well, that's all on video. So we recorded it. Mm -hmm. And I would the point of the I would have loved to have had that in the film. But then the pandemic hit, we couldn't get on the university campus to, to get the movie like to get the the tape. And it's all on tape, you know, so it would have taken a while. So we couldn't get on campus. We couldn't get a hold of the professors. They were like, yeah, when this thing's over, you can get in there and look for it. But we had to, we we then had to get the movie out the door because we wanted thing, you know, things to start happening with it yeah. in terms of like people hopefully being motivated to make some changes. You just can't sit on this movie, you know, forever. So we that was one of the big things. And then the second big thing was that we had been working with the tribes to to feature a Native American voice in the film. Mm-hmm. That then, of course, when that we were set to do that, um, then we couldn't we just yeah. didn't have people in, in danger with the pandemic. So we couldn't go and do those interviews. So that was a kind of a big loss. It didn't make it in film. So yeah, had we another year, we I guess we could have waited another year. Maybe we should have. I don't know. I, th- I think it was timely. I think anything like this is it's like here and now right? It's, it's happening now. It's happening here. It's happening in our homes, our home waters. I'm down in Southern Colorado. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you say how spring runoff has changed. Like it has changed. And now I'm on the Rio Grande, like, right. Come, come, come midsummer. Like you're, you're done. Like right. you, you give the fish, you let them do their thing. You know, right. it's the here and now it's, it's important. And I'm, I'm glad you guys launched it. And I know this thing isn't over yet, right? The pandemic right. is still, it's happening. It's here. We're in it. So that the piece that you did launch it, you did release it and yeah. you did do the virtual screening. Right. Thank you for that. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was great. No, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Totally, totally. It was it was great. It was good. It was here. It was good to hear the conversation and kind of where that conversation went. And so, mm-hmm. with that, did you record it? Is it available mm-hmm. to, for yeah. others to watch who weren't there for the screening? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can watch it. Pals got it featured on their site that you can just watch. But also, you can host a virtual screening on your own. Awesome. And I think maybe in-person screenings in the future, like a, a night in a box, you know, where you get like a Blu-ray or DVD. I don't, that's not yet, but I think that that's something we'll do because so originally this was supposed to be a fun night out in a fly shop. So we were going to be showing this kind of, you know, like a film tour type of style, but in like um, shops. So in like Patagonia stores, Orvis stores, Yeti stores all across the country where like you could come in for a pint night type of a deal and watch this. And that's when it was going to be a, a little longer. And then that was another pandemic thing, I guess I didn't mention, but right. that originally was the distribution was to be an in-store cool thing where we would have people from this film at each one of those events and to answer questions in person. And so certainly that obviously didn't work out, but it could in the future. So like we, we have a bunch of requests from like school science classes to show it and you know, that kind of thing. So, so I think it'll also be something you could do in person in the future, but right now you can do your own virtual screening with it and sign up for that. You can get that on the PAL site and then PAL showing it. And then um, I believe Patagonia is going to be doing a separate little launch. Awesome. Awesome. So I guess and I know, I know we got to wrap up because you're probably fishing today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's weird right now. We have these like mega spikes. I mean, I hate to get into it, but our runoffs are just bananas in terms of predictability. It's like, yeah. I mean, it's like a Katy, the Katy Perry song. It's hot and it's cold. 
it's like all over the place. So like I, I look at our Rivercast, I have the Rivercast app and I look at it like three times a day just to see what's happening with our levels and our temperatures. Like, so it was snowing here on Sunday and freezing cold and we were out and the water temperature was, I think it was like 38 and it was like 41 degrees yesterday for water temperature. And then today it's supposed to be 71 degrees. I mean, wow. not the water temperature, but the out, right. outside temperature. Wow. And um, so we were having a major spike. So yeah, so I'm out, I'm out there today, but I'm like, I don't know, maybe not tomorrow. Right. <laughs> it's, I, I imagine right now. It's, it's like a whole different from like a fly fisher perspective. It's like, okay. That's one thing. But from a guide perspective, it's like, well, I have clients, man. These fish aren't going to move. <laughs> yeah. No, the clients and the clients don't understand. That's really hard because we're now faced because of um, crazy weather patterns and overall climate impacts to our business um, to play it cool when we're explaining some of the stuff that's going on. Like people right. are coming here to catch native West Slope cutthroat and they're catching all these hybrids because the rainbows are are, you know, doing so much better because they can move up the system in warmer water right. and the hybridization is a big deal. Anyway, I could go on, but that's one of the things we have to constantly like be explaining and talking about is their expectations, you know? Yeah. And yeah, yeah our, our weather patterns are a little bonkers, but. Right. It's, it's an iconic zone to fish. Right. And, yeah. and it's, yeah, I imagine that there's a huge education component. Um, okay, so before we wrap up, uh, what what gives you hope after all of this and all the challenges that we're going to continue to face and that yeah. our favorite species are going to continue to, mm -hmm. to face and our industries are going mm -hmm. to continue to face? Yeah. What, what gives you hope? For me, what gives me hope is that this, in watching this film as a viewer um, the other night after it launched, I had this new renewed hope in watching it because I saw it. I tried to separate myself from from it and watch it as a viewer. And when I did, it gave me hope that these little things that we're doing aren't, we shouldn't be left with this overwhelming feeling of like not doing enough, that they end up being something that can be incorporated into your life that creates a bigger impact. So as opposed to just the doing, the little doing, what, what all those little doings add up to is a change in our own livelihoods and, and it might be uncomfortable at first. But then that scales up into something that can create systemic change at a, at a high level. And that's because we are impacting our economies. We're impacting the economic impact to our local communities. Right. And we're impacting our elected leadership. We're impacting what decisions are being made at a high level that can actually make a difference and move, move the needle to kind of protect what our playgrounds are, which is what we're really protecting in our minds. We're out here like wanting to ski and fish. And we're like, oh, like, but I'm not really doing my part. But whatever you know you're doing right now, if you think of it as as one of these small processes, that's exactly what Dr. Fegri was explaining in the film. That um, there's these cascading ecological, you know, um, events that are happening, and we're part of that cascade. We're part of that drop that's kind of cruising on down. So, I did like that feeling that I got. That okay, like we just keep going, we keep trying, we keep trying together, we keep collaborating, we keep working together, and then those things will scale up. Yeah, I feel that. Um, so what I didn't do, and I usually do with each guest, is uh, kind of a fast question round. Oh, gosh. Are, are you so up for it? I'm bad at these. The whole boxer's brief <laughs> question. 
Like, no, I like right? have to think about this stuff. I, sometimes I think that I don't have the capacity in my brain for things that are really important. Like, you know, how I like my coffee. And it's like black. Like that's so, yeah. not, nothing interesting. There's so much not interesting things about me that when these people ask me these questions, I'm like, uh... <laughs> The people want to be inspired. Oh no, but that's that's funny you said uh, coffee because I was going to ask you how you drinking your coffee right now. Yes, but- just black. I don't. Yeah. Ain't nobody got time for that. Like I don't put. I mean, sometimes when it's like so freaking hot, oh, like God, I'll just right? pour anything in it, like anything nearby that's cold, just because I'm a chugger. Like I'll I like <laughs> drink my coffee. I don't sip that shit. Like that's I gotta inhale it so it's got yeah it's got a hit too hot it bothers me like I need to have it cooled down so I'll just pour anything in there and then at Christmas time I put in all the things like what you know at Christmas when like you you know there's all the but the flavors and the alcohol and yeah yeah yeah, well all the alcohol yeah but but that's only for like a like Christmas Eve and Christmas Day um and I put everything in the coffee and I drink it all day long like hot buttered rum and like the you know cocoa and schnapps and like the kinds of drinks every other day of the year um since I was like 14 years old I've had no fewer than 20 ounces of black coffee and this is why I'm five feet tall (laughs) (laughs) at least you know that's good that's good you dedicated to something and like that's it Mm -hmm. like this is what I'm gonna do and it doesn't have to be like great coffee either <laughs> the, the truck stop coffee yeah, on like no. in route i do at home i do is a pretty sick pour over you know it's great and i love to get like I, my favorite thing is like when people give you coffee as a gift like a nice coffee oh that's the best thing because otherwise like i'll just get whatever my uh, husband would call me a coffee snob but i, I, I want to be a coffee snob i, I worked in, as a barista in, in college among the many millions of jobs that i did right. like many people but yeah, I would like to, but I just don't have time. I just had to, I just got to get it in, get it in there. <laughs> get it. Yep. Get it flowing. All right. One other favorite boat drink. Favorite boat drink. Yep. Oh, so it goes seasonally and it has to do with like, am I working or am I, am I guiding? Or <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I think that when I'm guiding, um, I have, co- so I try to not drink my coffee before – this is kind of weird. I try to not drink my coffee or too much coffee before I get on the boat because I like to have it on the boat right. too. So I just have a Yeti of coffee and then – and I'll drink that till noon. Like I'll just keep like drinking that till noon. I probably chugged a cup I'd say in the morning and then once I get on the boat, then I will drink sixteen a 16-ounce 16 cup for you know from like 8 to noon. And, and milk it. That's um, good. And just just black coffee. So I enjoy that a lot. And then I'll have uh, I like to have sparkling water. Um, nice in the afternoon, right? Very keeping it classy. Yeah, the sparkling water. Yeah, and um, and then like my mom and my sister are super into the soda stream. You know, making the yeah. sparkling water, and it's great with just no flavor or anything. So. That's always good. It's kind of a little bit hard to transport because it's a bubbly drink. So you can't put it in like in the, yeah, in the Yeti Rambler. When I'm done working or if I'm on the boat and just fun boat drinks, I mean, I just, I love cold beers. I would say again, like not interesting, just regular cold beers. <laughs> if that tires in the cooler, like I, I think uh, there's always the reason it's just cold beers is because like, 
whatever people have left in the cooler. It's like right. the graveyard, you know. So I right. drink I drink a lot of graveyards. Did you is the graveyard what you used to call when you'd go to Pizza Hut and put a little bit of each one of the soda fountain drinks in each Oh, that's hilarious. My brother always had a name for it. That's funny that you mentioned that. Yeah. Oh, we man. We call that a graveyard. You get your cup at pizza and you go, you know, just make it everything. Oh, that's, that's like funny. my cooler beers is a, gra- is a graveyard. <laughs> so hard. the cooler is just full of whatever anybody left behind. But I did. I mean, I'm just drinking Fat Tire right now just because I'm super psyched on their climate stance and everything that they're yeah. doing for the planet. And I tend to, you know, I mean, like I try to practice what what I preach and we're out here saying like vote with your pocketbook. So I'm not buying beers that I used to buy simply because I've traced the money to shit that I don't approve of. Like that I personally, and I'm like, Oh, I'm funding this. I'm funding your coal fire power plant loophole, like on public lands, you know? So I have done a little research that way. So I'm personally just trying to vote with my pocketbook. So I'm drinking fat tires because I'm super psyched on um, a bunch of the stuff that they're doing. And, um, and, you know, that's one, that's maybe one of the small processes, but it's a little, it's a little thing, but that's kind of what I'm doing right now. So it, it rolls into a big thing. Yeah. You know, like that's, it's just that snowball, which it's a good snowball. Yeah. Well, it also like, it, it's another talking point too. So now I've got a cooler full of fat tires and people start saying, you know, asking questions about it while you're drinking this and then you start talking about it. And then it's another touch point on your boat. Yep. So yeah. So that's, that's what I'm doing. Awesome. And then again, like, not, I guess that I guess that did make my not that interesting beer talk a little bit more interesting. Ta-da! <laughs> anytime, anytime. Oh, awesome! Thank you for participating oh, in that man. section of the podcast. Oh God! <laughs> awesome. So folks can go to protect our winters. They could see how they could screen the film. Anything else we need to know about Drop and what's next for you and your work with with Pow. Well, I think that um, I appreciate the uh, input other people have given in terms of doing um, another film that could be similar, like going the other direction <laughs> toward the other ocean or going south or, or things like that, or, you know, following up on some of these small processes and how they scale up or holding our elected leaders accountable or, you know, some, you know, people have been very encouraging that they want to see more of this kind of thing. And I don't know if it'll be us, but I certainly want to encourage anybody else out there with a message to share. I didn't feel like Liam or I had a message to share. It was a discovery of going out and finding other people's messages and sharing it. So if anybody else out there, whatever, whatever you are as a maker, storyteller, doer, know that there's support for you to do that. So yeah, go for it. Awesome, Hillary. I appreciate you and I appreciate what, you, what you've done. And uh, I definitely appreciate a drop. So I'm Thanks. excited to see what comes next right and continue engaging in the conversation. Absolutely. And taking action. I think it's huge. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for giving me the chance to talk about it. And um, I hope you have a great spring and summertime and hope to talk to you again soon. That's a wrap for this episode of Confluence and Connections brought to you by Elevation Outdoors and ElevationOutdoors.com. I want to send another big thank you to Hillary for hanging out with me and talking about the new film. To find out more or to screen drop, hit up ProtectOurWinters.org. And to check out what Hillary's doing, follow her at, at OutsideHillary on Instagram. I'm Ryan Scavo. You can find me on Instagram at RyeOutside. Stay tuned for our next episode. And until then, keep seeking those connections where the confluence flows. Thanks for listening.